Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I will now introduce, introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so very much, Michelle. I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program, the 9-11 Community Cancer and COVID-19. It's a very timely topic today, and um, today's program is supported by Michael Barish, J.D. of Barish and McCary PC, and we really want to thank them for their support of this program and for actually um, recommending that we do this program as well. So it's very um, wonderful that we're able to do this program. Now, we have on the program today over 200 participants, and you come from all over the United States, um, from both urban, rural, and suburban areas. And we also have international participants from Canada, India, and the U.K., so it's a bit of a global call as well. Um, and uh, so we're delighted to have um, everyone on board. And before we begin the program, um, I would like to ask a couple of questions of all of you just to get a sense of what you know coming into the program. And so I'm going to start with the first question. Um, and the first question, they're yes, no. So we just if those of you who are live streaming, you'll be able to um, answer those questions. And for those of you who are not live streaming, we'll be sending you this information so you'll be able to respond. Um, so I understand the impact of cancer and COVID-19 on the 9-11 community. Yes or no? And the second question is, I know about post-traumatic stress from the from cancer and COVID-19 in the 9-11 community, yes or no? The third question is, I am familiar with tips and strategies to manage stress from cancer and COVID-19, yes or no? And the next question is, I comprehend how the World Trade Center Health Program and the Victim Compensation Program can assist me, yes or no? The fifth question is, I know how to apply for the World Trade Center Health Program and the Victim Compensation Program, yes or no? The last question now, I know about the resources to help the 9-11 community living with cancer and other related health problems during COVID-19, yes or no? Well, I want to thank all of you for participating um, in these questions. It's very helpful for us to get a sense of what you know as the program begins. And now I'm, it's my pleasure now to start to introduce our speakers and our first speaker, um, is Dr. Michael, Dr. Mark Chris. Dr. Chris is the William and Joy Rain Chair in Thoracic Oncology, Attending Physician, Thoracic Oncology Service, Department of Medicine, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, Professor of Medicine, Wild Cornell Medical College. And Dr. Chris will be addressing an overview of cancer in the 9-11 community in the context of COVID-19. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Chris. Oh, thank you, Carolyn. And uh, thank you to everybody who's on the call today. It's uh, really a privilege to be able to speak to you all. Uh, as a, a fellow New Yorker and as a person who uh, has a family member that is part of your community, I've, I've had, unfortunately, uh, firsthand experience in, in the special things you've all done and the special things you've all had to experience. Um, I'm a medical oncologist. I specialize in, in uh, people who have lung cancer, uh, fighting lung cancer, and you're going to find me, though I'm talking about cancer in general, talking mainly about lung cancer. And I have a few uh, messages today about uh, COVID affecting cancer care. I think the first thing is, uh, remember, cancers remain the enemy here. Cancers are our number one enemy. Do not stop therapy. Uh, and in this COVID time, you need more connection. 
but less contact. And I'll give you some ideas about how you can do that. And lastly, uh, do all you can to prevent and treat COVID. And I'll talk about that too. So I, I think what has worked uh, for uh, me is uh, trying to uh, convince the, the folks I care for to think of COVID as another issue to be addressed, and it's not the issue. Again, cancer needs to uh, remain first and foremost. Uh, you, your health care team, your uh, care team have come together to come up with a plan of care. That is the care that is most likely to lead to the longest and best life for you. You cannot deviate from that plan. That said, you need to be careful to follow the rules of your uh, city, your region, and your uh, healthcare institution as it comes to COVID, and you have to stay up to date. Um, in this vaccine era now, uh, issues seem to change hour to hour, so it's really, really important. Uh, if, and if you can't possibly do it, but please reach out to your team. Uh, I would never do less than recommended by your local health authorities, your governmental authorities, but I caution you that more may not be better. And I'll, I'll pick on something like wearing of gloves, for example. I do not think it's a recommendation for most people to have to wear gloves now. It may have been at one time. Uh, but uh, a lot of folks find uh, they, they uh, think that more isolation would be beneficial than what is recommended, and I'm not sure that that's necessarily so. Never do less than recommended, but think about when you're doing more. And the last thing is that telemedicine has popped up uh, as a real opportunity here. Um, I, for one, had no telemedicine visits a year ago today, and now roughly a quarter to a third of my uh, visits with patients are telemedicine. So that opens up new opportunities for connection, yet with less contact. And also, uh, and I think Dr. Spiegel will probably speak more to this, Isolation is a horrible risk to your health and, and even more so to your happiness, and you have to be aware of that and combat it. Uh, a couple of practical things. The first is just expect uh, COVID screening and testing before and after procedures and physician visits. I know you've had the test before. It's just another um, uh, impediment to your care, but it does happen. You need to be open to less frequent routine testing and surveillance. Uh, and there is a benefit to that. Uh, many of you are familiar with that term, scanxiety, uh, that follows the uh, anticipation of uh, having a test that is assessing your illness. Um, doing fewer routine tests uh, are um, uh, one way around that. Uh, we've known scientifically that some medicines can be equally effective and safe when given less often, uh, and particularly the checkpoint inhibitors, but that's not true for all medicine. Uh, use telemedicine as much as you can. Think about consolidating visits whenever you can, not separate visits for blood tests and scanning, trying to do both the same. We try to do that in our scheduling. And lastly, try as much as possible to include your support team in your visits and video conferencing. Keeping the uh, team, family team members uh, out of the room during the visit has been a huge, huge hardship for everybody, but they can be brought in by using telemedicine. Uh, a word now about the, the vaccine. I urge you all to get vaccinated for COVID as soon as you can. Uh, our recommendation to, to our practice is uh, either vaccine, any provider who can give you the vaccine. There appear to be no additional contraindications from cancer or from cancer treatment. Um, yes, the people with cancer were not included in the clinical trials, but there's nothing specific about um, that we think that would keep people with cancer or around cancer treatment from, get, from getting the vaccine. Uh, I urge you to be persistent. Get your team to help you. These schedules go, change hour to hour uh, by region, by state. And uh, please uh, do your best to get the vaccine. The last thing is if you do test positive, contact your health care provider to think about getting antibody treatment. We have uh, two groups of drugs, antibody therapies, that can be given within a week or so of the diagnosis of COVID that have been shown to lessen the chance of having severe COVID and they're uh, automatic for people on immunosuppressive therapies and over the age 65. Uh, they're unpronounceable medicines, bamlanivimab, casavivimab, indivivab cocktail. Um, but contact your healthcare team for antibody therapies if you contract COVID. So please, cancer remains the enemy. COVID is a huge, huge concern, but cancer is what needs to be fought. Never stop therapy. 
talk to your healthcare team about modifications that can make uh, your uh, care more appropriate to the COVID setting. You need more connection, but less contact. And please, please prevent and treat COVID with the vaccine and antibody therapy should you test positive. Oh, excellent. Thank you, Dr. Chris. Uh, just a wonderful presentation and really setting the stage for today's program. So thank you so much. And our next uh, speaker is Dr. Hetty Lee Kindler. And Dr. Kindler is Professor of Medicine, Medical Director, Gastrointestinal Oncology Director, Mesothelioma Program, University of Chicago Medicine. And Dr. Kindler will be addressing the long-term respiratory effects of 9-11, including COPD and mesothelioma in the context of COVID-19. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Kindler. Thank you so much, Carolyn, for inviting me to speak um, with everyone here today. And as a native New Yorker, this is a subject that's quite dear to my heart. We know that the terrorist attacks on 9-11 placed nearly half a million people at increased risk of adverse health effects from exposure to an array of toxins during and following the attacks. The destruction of the towers released many tons of aerosolized dust and smoke with potential for carcinogenic exposures to community members as well as responders. And this has been extensively studied via the World Trade Center Health Program. What do we know about these environmental exposures? Well, the Trade Center complex comprised buildings primarily constructed of reinforced concrete, steel, and glass. Other materials included gypsum, insulation, wallboard, wiring, wood, and office furnishings. The intense fire and collapse of the buildings gave rise to a massive environmental exposure from a dense cloud of tons of suspended pulverized debris and combustion byproducts blanketing much of lower Manhattan. Fires at the site continued intermittently for several months after the attacks. Components of the dust and fumes included complex mixtures of particulate matter containing a combination of pulverized cement, glass fibers, asbestos, lead, and combustion products, as well as complex mixtures of volatile chemicals um, including um, aromatic hydrocarbons and dioxins, and many were toxins and carcinogens. Just imagine breathing all of that in. Respiratory illnesses, therefore, were among the earliest and most prominent health effects of 9-11, including the most common one, known as the World Trade Center cough. Risk uh, factors for adverse respiratory health outcomes included being caught in the dust and debris cloud, early arrival at the site, longer duration of work, and delaying mass and respirator use. Much of the damage to people's airways and lungs was attributed to the highly alkaline, high pH dust that caused an alkaline burn, which led to inflammation of the airway. Significant respiratory effects were apparent immediately following the attacks. Within the first 48 hours, 90% of rescue workers reported an acute cough accompanied by nasal congestion, chest tightness, or chest burning. Firefighters who worked at the center site within the first three days of September 11th were most likely to display these symptoms due to their exposure to a variety of toxic chemicals. Those who required at least four consecutive weeks of medical leave as a result of this sickness were diagnosed with World Trade Center cough. Today, doctors understand that World Trade Center cough is more than just a cough. It's best characterized by asthma and or bronchitis-like symptoms, such as persistent coughing, wheezing, and shortness of breath, and often includes acid reflux and nasal congestion. And although symptoms went away for some, many others with World Trade Center cough have a serious chronic illness caused by lasting damage to their airways that will require long-term treatment. Their treatment is virtually the same as for asthma. Some may need lifelong use of inhaled corticosteroids and bronchodilators, and sometimes oral steroids. But the asthma-like symptoms that are the hallmark of World Trade Center cough are often more challenging to treat than ordinary asthma. The World Trade Center exposed firefighters lost on average 10% of their lung function after September 11th 
and more than 10% develop new obstructive airways disease. Nearly two decades later, several studies of firefighter responders continue to show their bronchi are hyperreactive and they have lost their lung function recovery. The pace of their decline differs by the degree of their exposure and their smoking status. Similarly, in residents living near the World Trade Center, coughing, wheezing, chest tightness, and shortness of breath were reported in three to six times greater numbers among people living within one mile of the World Trade Center than among those who live more than five miles away. And although symptoms resolved over time in many exposed residents, symptoms persist in a significant number. Now, Dr. Chris has already told you about cancer in World Trade Center patients. Because of the presence of these cancer-causing agents, including asbestos, Several studies have examined cancer incidence among different cohorts and compared them with the general population. Now, cancer development is a complex process that occurs by a sequence of changes in genetic material that may take a long time. Some cancers will develop sooner than others. The 20-year time frame since 9-11 is still fairly short for some cancers, and continued follow-up is needed to further assess the full scope of the cancer risks. A modestly increased cancer risk has been observed for World Trade Center involved populations. The evidence is strongest for all cancers combined and for cancers of the thyroid and prostate. However, there are also indications of other excess cancers, such as bladder cancer, melanoma, myeloma, leukemia, and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. There are also rates, higher rates of people with multiple cancers in the same patient, and some cancers are presenting at an earlier than expected age. Several rare cancers have also been identified, including male breast cancer and malignant mesothelioma, a cancer I specialize in. What is mesothelioma? This is an uncommon cancer involving the lining around the lungs or abdomen that is principally caused by asbestos. You may be most familiar with it from late-night TV ads for lawyers. The steel trusses supporting the Twin Towers were sprayed with hundreds of tons of asbestos-containing fire retardants. The New York City Council banned further use of asbestos-containing sprays in 1971, but 39 floors of Tower 1 had already been sprayed, and many products containing asbestos were used. It is estimated that three to 400 tons of asbestos were released when the towers fell. It generally takes between 20 to 50 years following asbestos exposure for mesothelioma to develop. Both brief, intense exposures and chronic low-level exposures can lead to this disease. Given the amount of asbestos released and the lack of any known lower threshold for asbestos exposure, there is a concern that there may be more mesothelioma cases diagnosed in the future due to the World Trade Center. A cohort evaluating cancers in the surrounding community identified two patients with peritoneal meso and one with pleural mesothelioma. The average age of these patients was in the 50s, which is quite young for this disease. And since meso is a cancer that generally takes many decades to develop, we likely haven't seen the full impact yet. Interestingly, lung cancer is commonly associated with some occupational exposures, and World Trade Center debris did contain substances known to increase lung cancer risk, but an increase has not yet been observed in this disease. Now, Mark thoroughly talked with you about COVID-19 and how we should protect ourselves, but I would like to address just a bit more about how telehealth medicine can really help protect you. It's a wonderful way for you to communicate with your doctor about your medical issues while staying safe at home. You and your doc will get much more out of a video than just a telephone visit, so it's really worthwhile to learn how to do it. Different places will use different online portals, so please don't spend the first 15 minutes of a 20-minute visit trying to figure out the technology. Give it a test beforehand. And if you're not comfortable with it, ask a family member or the IT help desk to help you. And be organized. 
The doc is probably on a tight schedule of Zoom visits. So have a list of questions beforehand so you can make sure that you get all of your questions answered and all of your concerns addressed. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Kindler. That was really wonderful and so comprehensive. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you so much. Excellent. Um, our next uh, next speaker is Dr. David Spiegel. Dr. Spiegel is the uh, Wilson Professor, Associate Chair of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences, Director of the Center for Stress and Health, Medical Director of the Center for Integrative Medicine, Stanford University School of Medicine. And Dr. Spiegel will be addressing um, a discussion of COVID-19, 9-11, and cancer in the 9-11 community, post-traumatic stress disorder and concerns. And he'll also provide mm -hmm. key tips and strategies to manage your stress. So it's my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Spiegel. Uh, thank you very much, Carolyn. I'm honored to be here. And I'm, I was born and raised in New York. And although I escaped to the, to the West Coast, uh, I feel very close to what happened uh, in 9-11 and afterwards. And following on the excellent uh, presentations you've heard from Dr. Chris and Dr. Kindler, uh, particularly the notion of residues, uh, there's a residue of 9-11 psychologically as well as physically. So what's in the air is also what's in our memories and our emotions. And many of you may have noticed um, that there was a kind of recrudescence of some of the sense of anxiety, uh, desire for avoidance, uh, preoccupation with concerns about threat um, that you may have felt after 9-11 uh, when the COVID pandemic struck us. Um, it's different in some ways in that rather than being one acute, terrible, overwhelming stress, it's a chronic, creeping, uh, continuous stressor. But um, the way we organize memories in our brains is in part through the affective tone that they give us. And so some of the same feelings you may have noticed uh, coming up now uh, may remind you of what you've been through uh, with 9-11. And my main message there is don't be hard on yourself about it. It's a natural uh, thing to happen. And the question is, what can we do to minimize the psycho psychological impact uh, of uh, the COVID pandemic and its inevitable uh, reminders of what happened at 9-11? There were something like 18% of people in Manhattan had uh, post-traumatic stress disorder um, at the time of the 9-11 uh, attacks. Um, the good news is, and this is uh, four or five times as high as it typically is in the population, the good news is that six months later, um, the rate of, of diagnosable post-traumatic stress disorder was back to the baseline. So it was acute and serious, but uh, people managed in general to cope very well. There was about 10% rates of depression. Um, and um, what I'd like to do now is talk about the things that tended to help people. I would say if you're finding yourself depressed, feeling hopeless, helpless, and worthless, or having flashbacks and other symptoms of acute post-traumatic stress disorder, there is good help available. And one of the good things in psychiatry and psychology is that telehealth works very well since we rarely physically interact with patients anyway. And so we're finding at Stanford that we've flipped our uh, um, contact with patients from 5% telehealth before to 95% now, and most patients like it, uh, and it can be very effective. Um, what were the things that helped at the time of 9-11? It turned out that people with better education coped better. We did a study of some 1,200 people using the Internet at the time. Women were more affected significantly than men. Um, and interestingly, media exposure tended to add to distress. So my recommendation is learn what you need to know. But we found that more than two hours a day of listening to the news, you weren't learning anything new, but you were adding to the stressful input that you had. So discipline yourself not to get enough information, but not too much. It doesn't help. Social constraints were a problem. Uh, people who felt they couldn't talk about uh, their experiences and their feelings about 9-11 we're doing worse at baseline and at a six-month follow-up as well. Social network size was better, and I'm going to talk about how do you maintain social contact now. Emotional control was not a good thing. So people who tended to keep it all inside and not talk about it had less of a sense of well-being. So it, there's nothing wrong with and a lot right with talking about um, the feelings that are coming up. 
Uh, Self-blame in particular was one that was a problem. People with PTSD often have an excessively negative view of themselves. And we saw a lot of people who felt guilty. And now there were people in the government who should have felt guilty about 9-11 happening. But many, many ordinary people felt guilty about it. And very often we would rather feel guilty than helpless. And so engaging in self-recrimination about what you did or what you didn't do, uh, if you met with someone who later um, got uh, sick with COVID, don't automatically blame yourself for it. It's very important to keep in perspective that we are all suffering together in the world um, with uh, a pandemic that is, frankly, being terribly managed, has been until this point, in our country especially. And that's not our fault. That's the fault of the collectivity of what our government had been doing. So keep in mind that a lot of what's wrong is something we're all having to deal with, but it's not something to recriminate or blame yourself for. And getting good emotional support at the time uh, was, a, was a predictor of people who were substantially less depressed and, and uh, had less trauma symptoms six months later. Um, so what does that say about cancer patients coping with their illness now? We know that emotional and social support is a very important part of coping well with cancer. And loneliness is the opposite of that. And there is growing loneliness now because of the physical difficulty and the fact that people with cancer feel even more vulnerable. So um, uh, there are things one can do to counter that loneliness, but one needs to be proactive about it. You have to recreate new connections at a distance. Um, and the same with expressing emotion. Uh, so dealing with restructuring your priorities in life in the face of it means taking seriously the imposition of these restrictions and figuring out what to do. Uh, in particular, um, uh, think rather than social distancing, think of distant socializing. Find ways to connect. And that may sometimes mean contacting people that you've known and thought about but just haven't talked to in a long time and arrange uh, a Zoom drink together. Find ways to make connections, check in with people, and you'll find that people will be much more open to that than they would be when we were uh, very busy in a more ordinary kind of a life. So reconfigure your social support. Take care of your body. Do what your grandma said. Eat well, sleep well, and get plenty of exercise. It's harder to do that now, but more important than ever. As you've heard already, take the usual safe precautions and get vaccinated. That's very important. Um, Take advantage of remote medical and psychological resources. Uh, there are many available, and I'm going to mention one in a minute, because managing stress better is good for your mind and your body. The problem with our stress reactions is that our bodies tend to react to all stresses as if they were a physical threat. And what, what the best thing to do is to learn to control the reaction in your body so that you can better face the problem. We've actually invented... Um, uh, self-hypnosis is one of my research and clinical interests, and we've uh, invented a self-hypnosis interactive stress app on Alexa now that's available free to everybody, and we teach people how to first get your body comfortable. Just because you're worried doesn't mean your body has to be tense. So you go into a state in which you picture your body somewhere safe and comfortable, and then once you've done that, you take on a problem and figure out ways to deal with it one at a time. And if you take the, the array of problems we're dealing with now one at a time, you can handle them better and help your body feel better. And for those who are interested, the apps are free on www.reveriehealth.com, R-E-V-E-R-I-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. And uh, I'd be glad to hear about your response to it, and we hope it will help you. So Mind Matters. Um, it's understandable that our minds as well as our bodies are very much affected by what's happening, but hopefully um, we will be able to reconfigure our lives, socialize distantly, and take advantage of all of the resources that are available to help you live better. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Spiegel. That was really extraordinary and wonderful, and I think a lot of very good tips for people on the call, and there'll be questions, of course, during the Q&A as well. Thank you. Um, and our next speaker uh, is Dr. Grace Christ. Dr. Christ is Professor Emeritus, Columbia University School of Social Work, Director, FDNY, Home-Based Therapeutic Program for Families of Fire Failures Affected by the WTC uh, Disaster. And uh, Dr. Christ is going to be addressing vicarious trauma 
and compassionate presence. And it's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Christ. Thank you, Carolyn. Uh, team of Columbia Social Work faculty and doctoral students, we did implement a home-based home visiting program for the widow of fighters who were killed in the World Trade Center, who also had become the single parent of dependent children in our and he's given the option specifically didn't have Zoom or telehealth at that point, and it would have been easier. But those inside the family program continued. So they continued uh, over the years. Uh, so it's in FDI program, we did a range of behavioral health interventions in addition to facilitating adaptive coping, confronting mal- maladaptive coping and problem solving. Uh, when we reviewed the FDNY program at the end, families often said uh, that what helped our presence, our compassionate presence, Research on trauma and lost victims has supported that this is a, an important, maybe critical aspect of effective trauma interventions. The families actually said to us, What helped us is you sat with us in our home and with our children and you listened to us when others seemed to be afraid of us. So, another way of articulating this therapeutic intervention has been described. Sometimes we need someone to simply be there, not to fix anything or to do anything in particular, but just to let us feel that we are cared for and supported. So compassionate presence alone may also be an appropriate and helpful aspect of any intervention that we do. The global nature of COVID, its continuing life threat, especially to cancer patients and those with COPD, the feeling of vulnerability and diminished opportunity for accessible social support is likely to remind World Trade Center survivors of the many losses and traumatic experiences following that event. Grief is the breaking of the assumptive world that broke down for us 9-11-01, but also during this COVID epidemic and the recent attack on the Capitol, the idea that we can work out anything, disagree, but not be enemies, this was all challenged. One interesting, professional healthcare staff, often who are working with COVID patients, often experienced and cancer patients, vicarious trauma and grief, by witnessing family trauma and grief of so many on a daily basis, as well as situations such as uh, the recent uh, uh, insurrection at the Capitol. And a friend of mine, uh, April uh, Natural, has developed what she calls um, acknowledging our brief meetings for staff, developed that aim to provide now an online forum (laughs) where staff can openly acknowledge their grief in order to help with psychological restoration and the process of meaning making so important. Uh, These may be helpful for patients as well. In these meetings, staff have the opportunity to name a loss they are grieving, to accept there is no such thing as closure, that it is healthy to remember and talk about their loved ones, no matter the, uh, the time frame since the death, that loved ones will be in their hearts always until the day they die. So remembering is human. Such interventions affirm it is also okay to have to laugh and smile when they feel like it, even in the midst of their grief. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, that was wonderful, Dr. Chris. That was a wonderful presentation. And I know there'll be questions for you as well during the Q&A. Thank you. And um, our next speaker is uh, Mr. Michael Barish, uh, managing partner, Barish and McCary PC. He's an attorney, a lawyer, and he will be addressing um, two areas, the 9-11 Victim Compensation Fund and also the World Trade Center Health Program. And we are going to be providing all of you with the websites and the telephone numbers that you can contact them in terms of um, applying for 
for either of these programs. But it's my, and I also want to say that I want to thank uh, Mr. Barish very much for um, suggesting this program and supporting it because actually uh, this was a topic that um, really has not been done before um, in our 30 years of doing these programs and is much needed and one that we'd hope to do again. So I'm now going to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Mr. Barish. Uh, Carolyn, thank you so much. And to the doctors who spoke before me, I, I so appreciate your contribution to this area. Um, I know a lot of you are saying, what's a lawyer doing on this uh, program? Uh, let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, I was one of the thousands of people that you may have seen on television covered in dust running uptown while all my clients, who at that time were mostly firefighters and cops with sirens blazing, were coming downtown. And that's partly why uh, I take this also personally, because um, I was there. I represented firefighters and police officers before 9-11, and I lost so many clients that day and so many witnesses to their um, claims. And um, then afterwards, we heard that World Trade Center cough. I think Dr. Prezant may have been the one who gave it that name, but it wasn't just a cough, as we now know. Um, my, because my office was just two blocks from ground zero, I have personally uh, witnessed the effect of that toxic exposure when the government assured us that the air was safe to breathe. Do you remember all that? The EPA said, come on back to work. Come on back to school. No problem here. Well, seven of the 15 people in my office on 9-11, including me, are cancer survivors uh, many of us have respiratory illnesses. Um, this was, uh, the air was not safe to breathe at all. But look, the government did the right thing, even though it took the government a while to do it, and a lot, a lot of lobbying efforts. Um, I can't say enough nice things about John Stewart, the comedian and 9-11 advocate, because without him, we never would have gotten the Zadroga Act passed. And the Zadroga Act was named after my client, NYPD Detective James Zadroga, who died of pulmonary fibrosis mm -hmm. at age 34 um, in 2006. But um, we finally, after years and years of lobbying, Congress in 2011 passed this bill that created both the World Trade Center Health Program and the Victim Compensation Fund. As I said, it was the government's way of saying, hey, we screwed up. We're going to make right now. But the two programs were only passed for five years. And after five years with more and more people getting sick, and then finally in 2012 and 13, doctors at NIOSH had enough uh, statistical data to link what is now 68 cancers and a host of respiratory illnesses to the World Trade Center toxins. Um, so we got it passed in 2011. We got it extended to 2015, but people kept getting sick. We got it extended to 2020. And last year, or actually in 2019, you may have seen John Stewart so eloquently uh, testifying before Congress. Uh, he shamed enough politicians into extending both programs for 70 years. But now, Carolyn, here's my frustration. These programs are available to both responders and non-responders. The problem is because we spent so much time putting firefighters and cops before Congress that so many people don't realize it's for the 300,000 office workers. It's for the 50,000 downtown students and teachers and staff. It's for the 25,000 downtown residents, not to mention thousands of wonderful volunteers all exposed to the same toxins. And by the way, these programs are also available to the responders at the Pentagon and the responders at the Shanksville, Pennsylvania crash sites. The problem, as I said, is only 7% of the non-responders have registered so far. And I fear the reason is, is they just don't know about it. So if I had any message today to the 200 odd people who are listening today is please help us Spread the word. You may not have been there, but you may know somebody who was working at Goldman Sachs or going to school at Pace University or at the Stock Exchange. All these people are eligible for free health care for the rest of their lives from the World Trade Center Health Program. 
all these people are entitled to compensation if they have certified 9-11 illnesses. And as I indicated, it's respiratory illnesses. It's, the most common cancer is skin cancer, but then there's prostate cancer, thyroid, breast cancer, blood cancers, lung cancers. The, the list goes on and on. And it's almost every cancer you can think of. And so many people will say to me, well, Michael, I have a family history of breast cancer. And I'll say it doesn't matter. There's a presumption by the National Institute of Health that all these cancers, all these respiratory illnesses were caused by your exposure to the toxins. But you must be able to prove that you were there. And that requires getting affidavits from coworkers, from fellow students, maybe an uh, employment uh, verification letter. And the longer people wait, the harder it is to get these affidavits. So I urge everyone, register now. You can register with the health program by calling 888-982-4748. And this is a nationwide free health program. Um, So please take advantage of it. You can register with the Victim Compensation Fund at vcf.gov. You don't need a lawyer. I know it's unbelievable that I'm saying this, but it's true. You can do it. About 10% of the people are representing themselves. Uh, There is a challenge, though, and that's why if you have any questions, you're always welcome to go to 911victims.org. There are a lot of fine attorneys willing to help you. Uh, if you find that it's a little imposing to do it yourself. And I want to just finally finish by saying there is a deadline. Uh, Rupa Bhattacharya is the special master of the Victim Compensation Fund. She is wonderful, and she is compassionate. And this is not, by the way, a lawsuit. This is non-adversarial. So um, she she realized that so many non-responders uh, didn't register. As I said earlier, 80% of the responders have registered, but only 7% of the non-responders. So she extended the deadline for anyone who lost a loved one more than two years ago to register a claim. But that deadline is this July 29th. So please, if you know anybody whose spouse or family member passed away in the last 16, 18 years, Don't let them lose out on the chance to get financial security. The government wants you to take advantage of this. They're not going to cross-examine you, but they do want to see that you, if you're making the claim for yourself or your loved one, was in the exposure zone. And in Manhattan, that is south of Houston Street for the health program, south of Canal Street for the victim compensation fund, and, of course, the Pentagon and at Shanksville. So I'll close by just saying thank you at all, and please, let's spread the word. Thank you so much, Mr. Barish, and thanks for being so explicit in terms of the information. And we will also be giving to all of you the websites and the 800 numbers that we've been given out as well, or any information we give out, so you'll all have access to that as well. So thank you so much. And our next and our last speaker is uh, Rachel Barnhart, and Rachel is a an oncology social worker at Cancer Care, and uh, and she will be addressing Cancer Care's free programs and services, and um, give you some information about our Cancer Care Hope Line. Uh, I'm going to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Barnhart. Thank you so much, Dr. Messner, and to everyone who has spoken so far. It's been amazing to hear all of your expertise. Um, as Dr. Messner mentioned, I am an oncology social worker here at Cancer Care. And as an oncology social worker, I provide free support services to individuals and groups who are impacted by a cancer diagnosis. Um, a diagnosis comes with many challenges and can be really overwhelming. Um, some challenges including financial demands, physical changes, social adjustment, psychosocial impact. Our social workers are knowledgeable across cancer types and can address the full scope of issues that both patients and caregivers may be facing. Working one-on-one with an oncology social worker can offer you a space that's just yours to express concerns, locate financial resources, navigate communication with loved ones or the medical team, and to address any other cancer-related challenges that may arise. Our social workers can help you address your needs in a way that is tailored individually. 
having that support and guidance really supplements your network of trusted people and can help to relieve feelings of anxiety and isolation. Our aim is to increase feelings of hope, connection, and empowerment for our clients. And in my time at Cancer Cares Manhattan offices, I have personally interacted with several clients who identified themselves as 9-11 survivors, and I've learned so much from their stories. As many of the experts on this panel have already pointed out, the need for long-term trauma-focused therapeutic support may be an ongoing piece of survivorship care. And while Cancer Care's short-term counseling services cannot fully address the depth of impact of experiencing such a traumatic event as 9-11, we can, however, speak to the cancer piece specifically and be at least one layer of support in the, in the client's hopefully already robust support system. So if you're interested in learning more about our free services, I encourage you all to call our National Hope Line, and that number is one 800 813-4673 to speak to one of our oncology social workers. We answer calls five days a week and we can provide, we also provide online support groups, virtual events, reading materials. We have a fantastic podcast featuring client stories as well as financial assistance grants. And we look forward to hearing from you. Um, Thank you all for your attention and the opportunity to be part of this very special program today, and I will turn it back over to Dr. Messner now. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Ms. Barnhart. That was excellent, really wonderful resources for people to um, take advantage of. And now, before we take questions, so start getting your questions ready. They're still coming in right now. We're just going to ask a few questions of, um, of the participants on the call today. And um, again, it'll just be a few questions. Um, so um, they're yes, no. So the first question I'm going to ask is, as a result of this workshop, I better understand the impact of cancer and COVID-19 on the 9-11 community. Yes or no? And the next question is, as a result of this workshop, I am more confident in what I know about post-traumatic stress from cancer and COVID-19 in the 9-11 community, yes or no? And the next question is, as a result of this workshop, I am better equipped with practical tips and strategies to better manage the stress from cancer and COVID-19 in the 9-11 community, yes or no? And the next question, as a result of this workshop, I better understand how the World Trade Center Health Program and the Victim Compensation Program can assist me, yes or no. Just two more questions. The next question is, as a result of this workshop, I feel very confident in the steps needed to apply for the World Trade Center. Center Health Program and the Victim Compensation Fund, yes or no? And this is the last question. As a result of this workshop, I am better able to take advantage of the resources to help the 9-11 community living with cancer and other related health problems during COVID-19, yes or no? Okay, well, I actually want to thank you all for participating in these questions. It really helps us to get a sense of um, what you knew when you came into the program and what you know going out of the program. It really makes a big difference in our planning future programs. And now we're going to go move into our question and answer period, and I'm going to ask um, Michelle to explain to all of you how to queue up for questions. I'm going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. So, Michelle, if you could let people know um, what, what they need to do. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star, then one on your touchstone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. Okay, and we have a question in front of our online participants. This will be for Dr. Spiegel. The attacks are almost 20 years ago. I still get nightmares about what happened. Um, um, how 
how can I completely finish recovering? Um, well, it, I, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, there are ways, in general, most of the treatments for post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms, and of course, nightmares in particular are the ones, in a way, we have the least control over because we're we're sleeping when it happens. But in general, some kind of controlled exposure to memories to help you work through them so that when they come, they don't feel unbidden as though you're attacked again is best. So I would suggest that you contact um, a trained psychologist or psychiatrist who has experience with post-traumatic stress disorder that can help you go through a kind of what's called been called prolonged exposure and help you work through some of the feelings that still remain from the 9-11 Carolyn, can I add something to that? Yes. Hi. So the World Trade Center Health Program has trained psychologists. I couldn't agree more with Dr. Spiegel. Um, if you register for the health program, no matter where you live in the United States, you're entitled to free psychological treatment. And they see this every day, so they'll be able to help you. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Um, and then this question actually for... Um, uh, Dr. Um, Chris, um, I have two cancers, SLL and prostate cancer. How effective might the vaccine be for me, and should I forgo radiation treatment for the prostate cancer during the time I'm getting my two injections? So if you can answer this, Dr. Chris, in a general way, since, of course, many people have different types of cancers and different types of questions about their foregoing treatment, um, and get a vaccine. So if you could just comment on this. Sure. Um, number one, uh, the we're all learning uh, about giving the vaccine. Remember, it's only been uh, a month or so. So uh, be patient with us. Uh, number two, reach out to your healthcare team uh, for these very specific questions. Uh, but in general, there is nothing about uh, cancer care or uh, be it surgery, radiation, uh, immunotherapeutics even, that would say that a vaccine would not be safe. Um, the vaccine effectiveness has not been studied as effective uh, as uh, completely as it is in other uh, groups of people, but we have every reason to believe it would be uh, effective. Uh, we've had a lot of experience actually in the flu vaccine, even people with very deep immunosuppression, that it's still helpful. Uh, though it's not quite the same vaccine, the concept of giving a vaccine uh, and having it be helpful uh, even in the setting of cancer, even in the setting of immunosuppression, is, is that it can be. So talk to your team, get vaccinated. The only real contraindication, by the way, is an allergy to the vaccine components. And they're pretty rare things. Polyethylene glycol is, is the big one. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and Dr. Kinlaw, do you want to add anything to that as well? or? No, I, I think um, Mark has completed it perfectly. Excellent. Okay. Um, and uh, so I have a question. Uh, this one, I guess, would be for Dr. Spiegel again. Um, so uh, this particular participant, um, they really, um, we used to go out all the time and now just feel stuck with the pandemic and cold weather. Um, I live alone, feel like don't have anyone to talk to anymore. Um and uh, her friends tried meeting online, but it just wasn't the same. Any recommendations of what to do? Uh, well, I'm sorry to hear that, but you're not alone in feeling alone. Uh, loneliness is a, a major side effect of what we are, are all going through. And I would say that if you found that the first Zoom reach out uh, wasn't effective, Try a different configuration or a phone call. Uh, just keep trying it until you find a formula that makes you feel comfortable and connected. Try calling old friends that you haven't talked to in a while or people who have the same kinds of problems with cancer that you do. Look for some commonality and pursue it. And the first few times may not work, but, but keep at it. Don't, don't just sit there alone. Keep at it until you find a, a way of distant socializing that makes you feel less lonely. And anyone else want to add anything to that, either um, Ms. Barnhart or Dr. Christ? I agree more that the, the challenge of connecting the scrapes, uh is is significant. 
but there are many forums online and uh, that that so just keep on um, and not sure exactly where you're at, but you keep on reaching out, trying to connect, and it's a problem that everyone is uh, everyone shares. Just to throw out to you, you may find that you can connect with people that were uh, rocks to you at very points, at various parts in your life that you just have not been physically in contact with. And this crazy world we have with the Zoom, you suddenly can have your best friend from grammar school at your birthday party. Uh, it's a, that's one cr- nice, crazy thing that's happened. That's a very interesting thought, and that's inter- that's true. That's uh, people are connecting in 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 all sorts of ways. So, um, and we hope that people will be creative in thinking about um, these connections. Um, and I think as uh, Dr. Spiegel said, it's not, you're not alone. These feelings are shared by so many people. The idea is to, to get people as much connected as possible, as hard as it may sometimes seem and to get help with that as well. Now we, um, as we conclude the program today, um, I'm going to ask each of our speakers to provide a takeaway for each of you to have um, a takeaway point uh, from the program today that um, that you can actually uh, um, that they would like to leave you with. So I'm going to start with I'll go in the order that you started speaking. So I'm going to start with Dr. Chris. If you'd like to have a, some takeaway or some point that you'd like people to take with them. Uh, again, uh, less contact, more connection. Okay, excellent. Dr. Kindler? <laughs> I'd say that there is a light at the end of the tunnel with the advent of the new vaccines, and uh, this year is going to be better than the last one. Thank you. And Dr. Spiegel? Um, one of my cancer patients said that her life had never been the same since she got cancer, but in many ways it's better. Um, I trivialize the trivial. I see what matters. And what we're living through now is just terrible in many ways, but it also helps us to face and appreciate what we've got and make that better. Thank you. Thank you. And Dr. Christ? Yeah, it, it, we're all in this together. It is a very difficult time. And uh, just encourage people to reach out to and to acknowledge their grief and the loss and all that comes to them as, as, as normative to this experience and to reach out, connect with other groups and uh, and. and at the end of the tunnel with the vaccine, so that's encouraging, uh, but also just uh, acknowledging uh, with each other the difficulties that we're going through and coming up with uh, uh, inventive uh, ways forward. Thank you. Thank you. And Ms. Barish? Uh, I'm going to say that uh, something that we've all been saying today, which is 9-11 didn't end on 9-11. Um, the government wants you to access what you are entitled to. Sign up for the free World Trade Center Health Program. And if you do get cancer or you lose your career, you're entitled to financial security. Take advantage of this and spread the word. Thank you. And Ms. Barnhart? Yeah, just to um, say again that, you know, our, our hope line is open um, 10 to 6, Monday through Thursday, that's Eastern Standard Time, and 10 to 5 on Fridays. And anyone who answers that line is a licensed social worker, and um, we're here for you, and we will do our best to support you um, and meet your needs however we can. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank all of our speakers. You have been phenomenal. And I want to thank all of our participants for having queued up and asked questions. And actually, and and I know there are many more of you in queue, so I want to comment on that. Um, so I just want all of you to know that although the program will soon end, um, your access to services does not end. And so um, we do, we will be sending you an evaluation on SurveyMonkey at the end of the program, and that will be all the resources that were mentioned throughout the program. A, a number of the speakers mentioned various resources, an app, um, the World Trade Center, and victim compensation information as well. Um, all that will be available to all of you and other resources as well. And we do encourage you to contact Cancer Care um, should you have any 
questions or concerns um, that you wish to discuss with one of our oncology social workers. Perhaps most importantly, as we conclude the program today, we realize from the questions and, and all of our programs that people with COVID feel more alone. They are social distancing. They aren't able to be with people as much as before. Their lives have changed in many ways. Um, there also are um, ways um, that we can help people um, with that. Um, you've heard some suggestions today, but of course this is a longer dialogue. It, it needs to go on more than just this one program. And so we do want to know, want you to know that there are free services out there, and if you're having difficulty accessing them, you certainly can call Cancer Care. Our, our social work staff are quite equipped to help you um, with um, issues and concerns that you may have. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a good day.